I have here today a moving box. My family has moved many times uh, in the course of our ministry and our lifetime, and we, we're believing this is it. You know, we're, we're, you're stuck with us uh, for the rest of, of my career. I, I really believe that. But we've moved many times, and I've learned a lot about moving boxes. How many of y'all moved before? Raise your hand. Y'all moved? Yes? A lot of y'all moved. We're in a mobile society, aren't we? People move. And you probably learned the same lessons that I have. You get the small moving boxes, and it's a waste of time, right? You got to carry too many boxes because because they're just too small and you can't fit your stuff in them. So one time I decided I'm gonna buy all large moving boxes. Big mistake because you put the stuff in the, it's fun packing it, it's no fun lifting it because you can't lift those boxes because there's too heaviest. I'm, I'm a medium moving box kind of a guy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, like, it's, like it's big enough I can put stuff into, but it's small enough that I can still control it and I can still, I can still move it around. I submit to you today at the beginning of the story, at the beginning of the, the teaching today, that is it possible that we've done the same thing with God, that we've put God not in a small box because we don't want to be embarrassed that we carry around a small God and not in too big of a box because we want to make sure that we can control God and when he shows up in our life and what he does in our life, but we, we've, we've confined God to a medium size box. God, I want you to fit in this box. I want you to fit in this space, in this way in my calendar, in this way in my checkbook, in this way in my life. And I am here to tell you today that if your God fits into a box, small, medium, or large, then your God is too small. And here's why that makes a difference. If you have a God that fits into any kind of a box, then inevitably you're going to live a life that's full of fear, that's full of anxiety, that's full of stress, that's full of all kinds of pressure. Because why? Because your God is not big enough to help you in your circumstance. Your God is not big enough to talk to about your problems. He's not big enough to come through for you when you're in a stressful situation. If you live with a God that is small enough to fit into a box, then your life is going to be mundane, it's going to be boring, and it's going to be very predictable because you don't have a God that's big enough to challenge you into a risk. You don't have a God that's big enough to use you in a significant way. If your God is small enough to fit, in, to fit into a box, then what's going to happen is challenges are going to feel overwhelming to you. Situations are going to feel hopeless. But I'm hoping as we go through the study of the story together, and we've been studying this book, which is the Bible in chronological order, written in 31 chapters. It's not the entire Bible, but it's the main themes of the Bible. Just the, the New International Version of the Bible. If you don't have a copy of this, we've got several copies available at the Connect Corner in the back. You can pick one up, or you can get it up. If you're online, you can order it on Amazon. But we're reading one chapter a week for 31 weeks at all of our campuses. And this week we're on chapter number 11. Now I hope that you're staying up with your reading. It's not that hard. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, not going to tell you to go back and read the whole thing and get caught up, although I'd love for you to do that. But read chapter 12 for next week, but stay up. I love this, by the way. As a former school teacher, I love that uh, my students were expected to read the chapter before they come to class. And then when they came to class, we would dissect and talk about it. And I would have to put in tests and measurements to make sure that they actually did what I told them to do, which is why we do quizzes and, and tests and exams to make sure that they actually read the material. But you can't have an intelligent discussion about the content if you haven't read the material. 
material. A lot of preachers might, you know, I've got a lot of friends, but might be a little intimidated that everybody's already read what it is we're going to be talking about in church because, well, you know, I want to give them the element of surprise. I want you to know what we're reading about, what we're going to talk about, what I'm going to teach about in church because I don't want you to take my word for it. The Bible says study to show yourself approved. I remember when I first got saved back in 1989, the preacher, it seemed like all the preachers were saying the same thing. You need to read this book, read the Bible, study the Bible to show yourself approved because one day this book may be taken from you. One day you might not be able to read this book on your own. You got to have it memorized, let it sink deep down inside of you. And then like, how about we live in the United States of America? How could that possibly happen? It would take a communistic society for that to take place. I don't want to get political. I'm just saying, don't say it can't happen because things shift on a dime in culture. Read it. Study it. We want you to know God's word and don't take anybody else's word. You read it for yourself and we'll help you understand, understand what, it, what it says. But our hope is as we go through the story, the study of God's word together, that we will see that God doesn't do boxes. Because as we've read through the story for the past 11 weeks, there's example after example of how God is so big that we can look at people and say, they're just too broken, but God looks at them and says, watch how I put their lives back together again. We can look at people and say, they're just too insignificant, they're not important enough, they don't have the skill set, they don't have the talent, they don't have the voice, they don't have the influence, but God says, watch how I'm going to use that person to change everything. And hear me loud and clear, what I'm not advocating for in this illustration of putting God in the box is that we need a bigger box because our God is big. We don't need a bigger box. We need to eliminate the box altogether because he's bigger than you can think, ask, or imagine. He's bigger, he's bigger, he's bigger, he's bigger. And this week, in chapter 11 of the story, there's so much, I'm not gonna be able to cover everything in the chapter, I'm not even gonna try to, but I'm gonna take out a portion that I feel that God wants me to share. And so in chapter 11 of the story, we understand that we're learning about David, this guy named David, who was anointed to become king, but he actually didn't ascend to his throne yet. He was told he's gonna be the king of Israel and anointed by God to be the king, but he has to wait almost two decades before he's recognized as the king, the king of Israel. And so we're looking at David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you're gonna look in your regular Bible, or if you're gonna look in the Bible, um, uh, the, the storybook, you can turn, if you would please, to page 145, because that's where we're gonna be starting off in just, in just a couple of moments in the story. At this point, David is about a freshman in high school. He's about 14 years old. Are there any 14-year-olds in here? Raise your hand if you're 14. Anybody 14? We got a 14-year-old. Yeah, thank you for raising your hand. You're 14 who doesn't always get courageous enough to do that. We got a 14-year-old. So that David's about your age. 14 years old, about a freshman in high school. He's a young man, and he's got, he, he drew the, the short straw in the family because he's got the, he's got the job and the chore that nobody else wants. David's job is to tend to the sheep. It's the lowest of all the jobs. It's, it's the one nobody else wanted to do. In fact, if you were to look up Google, and I didn't do this, but I would say if you did do this, you probably would discover this Google job description for a Middle Eastern shepherd. It probably would pop up with, a, with a, a, a three words, and it would simply say, watch the sheep. That's your job description. That's all you got to do is just, just watch, watch the sheep. And that's, that's what David did, was he, he watched the sheep. But 
how many of you know, for a 14-year-old, that would be very, very boring? You want to be social, you want to be connected with people, you want to be talking to people. There was no cell phones, there was no telephones, there was no communication. You just were out there watching the sheep. So David did a couple of other things. We know this. As a 14-year-old, he, um, he uh, w- w- would sing songs. Well, that kind of sounds normal. He's out there watching the sheep. He's bored, so he'd sing songs. He'd also write songs while he was out there, and he'd learn to develop uh, his musical ability while he was out there. He'd take instruments out there. He'd make instruments while he was out there. That's what he did while he was watching the sheep. Oh, and he, by the way, he also, because he was a boy, he liked to throw rocks, and he discovered if you put a rock in a sling, he could, he could knock over things, and he could hit various trees and other rocks and targets that he would find out there. So what was David doing? While he was out there, he was watching sheep, he was slinging rocks, and he was singing songs. He was watching sheep, he was slinging rocks, and he was singing songs. Let me say it again. He was watching sheep, (laughs) he was slinging rocks, and he was singing songs. He was bored. You ever feel bored before? I owned my first business when I was 14 years old, so my life has been fast forward, and I mean, it was a martial arts school, and then I managed five schools when I was in high school, and then we had a couple more Taekwondo schools when I went to college, and got married very young, and had a family very young, and just, my life has just been not boring. It's been one uh, entrepreneurial risk to another, and one, it's just been wonderful, and I've never really had a season of boredom, so I couldn't really identify until COVID, struck. How many of y'all been quarantined during COVID? Anybody been quarantined? So it's like it's a shame button. You don't have to shame. It's okay. You've been quarantined. You bumped into somebody or you were with somebody. And I've been, you're, when you're quarantined, we were quarantined when we had COVID. Um, this has been way back at the very beginning, my wife and I, when that was miserable. Some of you had it really, really bad and it was miserable. That's horrible, but at least you've got a reason to be quarantined. What's worse, in my opinion, is being quarantined when you got nothing. You just like, like you were in the same room with somebody who had it, and now you've got to be quarantined. Talk about a waste of time. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Just, well, maybe you have, you're like, no, it's not a waste of time because I had all the Doritos and I had the Netflix and I had the light. It was fun. Maybe for like two days, but after that, you start going crazy. David was kind of like that. He was bored, he wanted something to do, so what did he do? He watched the sheep, that was his responsibility. He slung rocks, and he sang songs. And something significant is taking place in David's house. David's dad's name is Jesse. Remember, David's 14 years old, Jesse's his dad. And if you remember from last week, or last chapter when we read, there was the the prophet, um, the spiritual leader of Israel, his name is Samuel. Remember, Samuel was born, and it was a miracle that his mom could have him because she wasn't able to have children, and so she dedicated him to God, and he was raised in the house of the priest, and we learned that last week. Well, Samuel's older now, and God has told Samuel to go ahead and appoint a king, and we remember last week he appointed, he anointed Saul as the first king of Israel, and Saul started off really good, and then Saul went off the rails because he disobeyed God. And now, God speaks to Samuel the prophet, the priest, and he says, I want you to go anoint the second king of Israel, even though the first king of Israel is still on the throne. He hasn't turned in his resignation letter. He hasn't been dethroned. He's still the king. And so Samuel says, no problem, God. What do you want me to do? And God says, go to the house of Jesse. He's got some boys, and I'll tell you which one of his sons will become the next king of Israel. 
And so Samuel does. He goes to the house of Jesse, and uh, Samuel is kind of um, expecting that there's going to be um, a, a revelation. He's going to be told by God very quickly which one of the sons is going to become going to become the king. So Jesse, the dad, says to his seven sons, keep in mind he's got eight boys, but to his seven sons who were at home, because there's one boy that's not, and that's David, the 14-year-old punk that's out in the fields watching the sheep, slinging some rocks and singing some songs. And he says to his seven boys, get on your Sunday best. So they get all polished up, and they dust off their resume, and they've got it in hand, and they're standing in a single-file line waiting for the prophet Samuel to show up. And Samuel shows up, and Samuel isn't sure which one's going to be the king of Israel, but Samuel's stepping into the role of Simon Cowell, if you will, and he's, he's got to decide which one is going to become the next king of Israel. And here's what it says says on page 145, uh, it's 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, now he's the oldest of the sons, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord, surely he's the one. I mean, he looks good. He, 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 he's got the charisma. He looks like he's, the, he's game over. He's a natural-born leader. His resume is impeccable. He's the man. But God says, no, he's not, the, he's not the guy. And what's interesting to me is we've got Samuel, who is this prophet and priest, spiritual leader of Israel, very close to God, and yet he's still got God in the box himself. Because he's thinking, well, he looks like he could be the next king. He sounds like he could be the next king. He's got the resume and the education. He's polished. He should be the next king. But he's still got God in a box. And Samuel uh, goes upon what he sees. But, but God says in verse number seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. God is telling Samuel, you're looking at the outward appearance, but I'm looking at the inward appearance. And so here's what happens as the story goes. Samuel, the, the priest, the prophet, works his way down the line from all seven brothers, and I'll fast forward the story for you a little bit. He gets through all seven, and God says, no, 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 no. He says no to every one of them, and that's the end of the line, and now there's this moment of kind of awkwardness in the house of Jesse, because Samuel knows that it's one of these brothers, and so I suppose maybe Samuel says somewhat tongue-in-cheek to, to, to Jesse, you, 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 you got anything in the back? I don't know. He, God told me to come here. And Jesse says this, there is one more son, but he is the youngest. And the word youngest in the Hebrew actually means runt of the litter. But he's the runt of the litter. And Samuel, the, the priest, the prophet, says, well, call for him. I'd like, to, I'd like to talk to him. So Jesse does. And it says on page 146, uh, right in the middle, so he sent for him. This is 1 Samuel 16, 12. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. So for the next few minutes, what I'd like to do is take the life of David as a young man teenage, adolescent, uh, young adult. And if we were to think of his life and divide it maybe into two chapter titles, I'd like to give you those chapter titles. 
the life of David, chapter one, God can use anybody. God oftentimes uses those people that we don't expect him to use. And we see it in the life of David. David comes on the scene and you've got all the brothers that are in their suits and their ties and their wingtips and their Sunday best. They're looking good, they're polished up. And David comes into the room and he smells like sheep. He's wearing jeans and flip-flops and a V-neck T-shirt, right? And he smells kind of funky. And all the brothers have the right look and they're very impressive and David comes in and he's too casual and he's too young and he's too inexperienced and God says, that's the one that I want. That's the one that I want to use. Sometimes our tendency is to say, well, I'm just too old. I'm beyond my prime. Don't you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah, that elderly, infertile couple that God used to populate the nation? Don't you remember that? Don't you remember? I'm too guilty. Do you remember the story of Rahab that we talked about not too long ago? She had a a profession. Her profession was that of being a prostitute, and yet God used her mightily in, in in the city of Jericho. How about, I'm too scared. I know God is calling me to do something, but a lot could go wrong. Well, don't you remember Gideon? He was a fearful man, but God looked at him and said, mighty warrior. He called him a mighty warrior. And then he whittled his army down so that it was one to 450 ratio, and Gideon still came out victorious. How about, it's too hard. Given the circumstances in my life, you don't understand what's going on, Troy, it's really complicated. Well, don't you remember Joseph? We already read about him, who went from slave to prisoner to being the vice president of Egypt and saved everybody from the famine. Don't give me any excuses. David is another one in the story, the story of God, where God can use absolutely anybody. He can use you also. It's, it's not that David was anybody else's choice, but David was God's choice. So chapter two, the life of David, God can do anything. If you keep on reading the life of David in this chapter, and after he's anointed king as a 14-year-old boy, he initially goes back to what he was used to doing. Thank you so much, Prophet Samuel. Wonderful, thank you. I'm anointed king. I feel fantastic. So what's next? And nobody knows anything because God hasn't revealed anything yet, so he goes back to what he's supposed to do. And dad's like, well, get back out there and watch the sheep. So he goes back out to watch the sheep. And so while he's out there, uh, he falls back into the same pattern, watching the sheep, slinging rocks, singing songs, watching the sheep, Slinging rocks, singing songs, probably a little confused because it wasn't a day, it wasn't a week or a month, it wasn't even a year, but it was almost 20 years that he spent before he actually became the king of Israel in the eyes of the people. I bet he was out there thinking, God, you know, when are you going to do something? You anointed me to be king. When is it going to be? Maybe you're asking the same question. When is my turn going to take place? Every day he must have thought, maybe today's the day. And I imagine he went, went through some doubting periods in his life. And he's back to being the shepherd, and then something happens. As the story goes, um, the, the, the current king 
whose name is Saul. You might remember him. Uh, He started off good, as I said, and then he made a big mistake and disobeyed God. So now he's having trouble sleeping. He's He's having these terrible dreams. He's having fits of stress and anxiety, and he's depressed, and he's been gripped with fear. So the king has asked all of his attendants, what can you do for me? And so all of his attendants are making suggestions, and one day one of his attendants makes a suggestion and says, hey, king, I know this, this young man, he's a teenage boy, he's the son of Jesse, but he makes beautiful music. Maybe his music will make you feel better. The king's like, well, it couldn't hurt. I've tried everything else. Go get this musician. So he goes and gets uh, little, little David, and David comes in and meets the king and greets the king and brings in one instrument with him, and that is the harp. And he begins to play this stringed instrument as he sings, and it works. It soothes and calms King Saul. And so David, this teenage young man, and the king, who stood well over six feet, six feet four, six feet five in stature, he was a tall man, a large man, um, both uh, physically and relationally among the, the, the culture, becomes a friend to this teenage boy, kind of a mentor to him. It's a, it's a powerful relationship. And then by the time you get to 1 Samuel chapter 17, David is likely 18 years old now. So he's been for four or five years after he was anointed king, and he's still watching the sheep slinging rocks and singing songs, and he's about 18 years old now, and he's not old enough to be a soldier, because in that culture, to be a soldier, you had to be at least 20 years old. So he's 18-ish years old, and his dad, Jesse, David, calls him from the field, and David comes, yeah, daddy, yeah, daddy, what you need, daddy? He's like, listen. The Philistines, if you remember the Philistines, they're that, that, that mean-spirited, angry mob, uh, kind of gang thugs that are trying to attack, like the Bloods and the Crips we talked about before, trying to attack the Israelites. And so dad says to David, Jesse says to David, um, the Israelites, our team, are fighting right now against the Philistines, the, 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 the gang, the thugs, and your brothers are there. Go take them some sandwiches. Uh, go, get, go get some hot and readies and take them to them so they can have something to eat. And so he, he says, okay, daddy, I'll take him the food. And he makes his way there. But when David gets to the front lines, there is no fighting going on. Nothing's happening. There's the Israelites and there is the Philistines. But the Philistines are in the front of the Philistines is this giant man, soldier, named Goliath. Now, Archaeologists have revealed and history shows us that the height, this, this is a real human being, the height of this person was approximately nine feet, three inches tall. This is a big boy, all right? So he's very intimidating and large stature to look at. And the Philistines are challenging the army of God. And they're saying to the army of God, our dude versus any guy you choose. Mono a mano, man to man, one on one. And whichever nation wins, the other nation has to become their slaves. Whoever is victorious, the other nation has to become ruled by them. And so there's a lot on the line with this fight. And then the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 11 on page 147, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, that's the current king, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. 
But when David hears this challenge, we read on the next page, page 148 in chapter 17, verse number 26, right about a third of the way down, David asks the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Can you imagine being the one that he's talking to? I imagine they were all so full of fear that there's this 18-year-old, just courageous young man who's probably not whispering this. He's probably saying it a little loud. And if you're the dude he's saying it to, you're going, but shh, right? Because there's this tension and fear and anxiety that's, that's going on. So he goes to Saul, David goes to Saul, the king, and he says to him in verse number 32, the very next one, he says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, your servant. He's talking about himself. I will go and fight him. I will, I will take him out. And Saul's like, um, aren't you my harpist? Mm-hmm. Right? Aren't you like the one that sang me lullabies a little while ago? Isn't that who you are, David? <laughs> and you, you want me to send you out to, to fight this giant? You gotta be kidding me. And David's like, I've got this. And Saul's like, well, no, no you don't. So look at page 148, we'll continue. Saul, rep- uh, Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But, but, but nobody else is willing to go out. So after a little bit of discourse back and forth, Saul says, fine, you go out and fight him, but uh, you gotta wear my, my armor. And David puts it on. I'm assuming it was like itchy or something. So he took it off and he's like, I just don't want to wear it. And, and David says, I'm going to go out and take care of this. And he goes out with a sling. And do you see what God is doing with him? Finally, the opportunity has come for David. And I'm thought, I think, I think that David, all of those years that he was out there watching the sheep, slinging rocks, and singing songs, he probably thought, what a waste of time. But if you look at the Bible through the lens that I'm looking at, in chapter 16, what introduces David to the king and allows him to have a voice with the king so that the king would actually give this little runt teenager too young to be in the army, no military experience, permission to fight this giant to begin with is because he was singing songs and playing music out there. The fact that he was slinging rocks got him prepared to take this giant out. And the fact that he had spent all those years keeping track of, protecting, and watching the sheep prepared him to watch the sheep of Israel as the king of that nation. God did not waste a second of his time when he was out there by himself watching the sheep, slinging some rocks, and singing some songs. And so God uses uses David, and I'm sure it's what David thought was a waste of time. I think maybe David was out there thinking, shouldn't I, isn't there like some king camp I should be going to, something that I should be like learning how do you become a king, what you do, what you say, and uh, isn't there some sort of experience that I should be, a book that I should be reading, but God was preparing him the whole time. So as the story goes, David goes out to fight Goliath. Goliath sees him coming. Hey, you little boy, you little runt, I'm gonna feed your flesh 
to the birds of the air and the wild animals. And I love what David says on page 149, 1 Samuel 17, 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David had no box, baby. He had God in no box. I'm going to cut off your head. What confidence did he have? I am going to take you out. I can almost hear the crowd roaring as the words are kind of pronounced. Let's get ready to rumble! That's the way my mind works. You know what I'm saying? He's gonna go get him and David charges at Goliath. And I love this part because we read in verse number 11 that it says, Saul, the king of Israel, and all of the Israelites were scared. They were terrified. As David is charging at Goliath, the good guys are freaked out. Why? Because when you put God in a box, then you become consumed with fear because you're always asking the what if questions. What if Goliath wins? What if our nation becomes slaves? What if they take our land? What if the economy doesn't recover? What if it's cancer? What if I spend the rest of my life alone? What if there's another terrorist attack or another pandemic? What if I lose my job? What if my child gets sick? What if? What if? What? And if if, if you put God in a box, then what happens is what if dominates your life. All you can see is the what if of the situation. But David doesn't see the what if of the situation. He sees the who is of the situation. That's David. It isn't David versus Goliath. We say that all the time with our children and grandchildren. It's David versus Goliath. I beg to differ because from David's perspective, it was God versus Goliath. It's God. Listen, when, when our children were growing up, it was David versus Goliath, but it really isn't. It's God versus Goliath, and there really was no fight. And so in verse 33, Saul, the king, the current king, says to David, this teenage boy, it can't be done. It's ridiculous. That's what you say when you put God in a box. God cannot heal. God cannot forgive. God cannot use you. You're too far gone. God cannot provide. God cannot redeem. And David says, yes, he can. And everyone on that day sees the giant 
Goliath and sees the opposition standing behind him. But David sees something very different. He sees how big God is and he knows this much about God that God can use anyone and God can do anything. He can do that. Maybe you've heard the story of a Boston Marathon winner from nearly a decade ago. His name was Wesley Career. Wesley is a Christian. And the day that he won the Boston Marathon was a great day for him. And it was a great day for God as he, as he let his light so shine before men. Wesley had already won the Los Angeles Marathon two different times. He also had previously won the Chicago Marathon. Wesley grew up in Kenya, running barefoot to school. And this is not hyperbole like we speak in America. This is the truth. Running barefoot to school five miles each way. His family didn't have any money for shoes. And then his mom was a very strict mama. And she knew that of all of her kids, Wesley, one of eight kids, ironic because... David as well, but one of eight kids, he was the fastest. And Wesley said this, he said, my mom knew that I was the fast kid, so she'd always pick me to run to the market for soap or food or whatever we needed. And if I wasn't back on time, my mom would punish me. <laughs> he said, I was always running from punishment, which helped me a lot in my running, even though I never thought I was training at the time. I'm just saying, David didn't know he was training at the time, and you probably don't know that you are training today. You, you don't know that. We don't know what we don't know. God is training you for something to come, and he's not going to waste any time. He's not going to waste the challenge that you're facing. I'm not trying to minimize your pain. I'm just saying God's going to use this. God is big enough to take what you're going through now and use it as training and preparation for your good and for his glory later on. That's the theme of the story. And so we see it in the life of David, but maybe our biggest challenge, our biggest problem that we have with regard to putting God in a box is, is timing, God's timing. Because we want God's miracles, which we believe for miracles, but we want God's miracles to fit into our calendar and operate by our timetable. And ultimately, what we do is we tend to say, God, we believe in who you are, and we believe in what you can do, and we believe that you can move, and we believe that you can act, and, and here's how long you've got. <laughs> David is anointed king, and it's approximately 16 to 20 years before he ascends to the throne. And if you read the rest of the chapter this week, 10 of those years, the very guy that he sang lullabies to, that he stood in the gap for and won the victory for the Israelites for, King Saul, who is the current king, finds out that David was anointed to be king by God. David didn't make buttons put commercials on the television. He didn't run for office. He was anointed by God for this position. But King Saul finds out that his successor is David. And so for 10 of those years that David has already been anointed to be king, 
Saul is chasing him down, hunting him down, trying like an animal, trying, trying to kill him. And yet the Bible tells us that during that nearly 20-year period, David is still singing songs unto God, speaking of God's greatness. Many of the psalms that we read today are songs that were written, composed by David during this 10-year period of running and, and oppression and frustration and fear. In fact, Psalm 27, David says, take courage and wait on the Lord. You know, it takes courage to wait on the Lord. It doesn't seem like a courageous thing to do to wait on the Lord, but it is. If your God is in a box, then when you get a promise from God that you're gonna be the king of Israel, if your God is in a box, you tend to think, well, I gotta do something. I, I gotta make this happen. You have to do anything. You have to make this happen. God's not restricted to our timetable. And so it says in 2 Samuel 5, verse number four, David was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned for 40 years. Do you believe that God can use anybody and that God can do anything he wants to at any time that he wants to? What I believe, as I close, what I believe is the basic problem with Christians and the church today is that our God is just too small. I think that's how we, we feel. God, God is just, just too small. If your God's job description reads, make my life more comfortable and more convenient, then your God is too small. If your God says to you, don't take a risk, play it safe, then your God is too small. If your God's job is to obey you and do what you want when you want it, like he's a genie in a bottle gonna grant your wishes, then your God is too small. If your God operates on your timetable, if you keep his calendar, then your God is too small. If your God is a white guy with a closet full of suits and ties, and if your God loves Americans more than he does Iranians, if your God is always saying come, but never saying go, then your God is too small. If your God never wrecks your schedule or messes up your plans, if your God never asks you to do something that isn't in your budget, or if your God requires a certain president to be in office in order to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in this nation, then your God is too small. If your God has never filled your eyes with tears because of his grace or taken away your breath because of his power, then your God is too small. If your God's dream for you is to retire and spend a couple of decades taking it easy 
then your God is too small. If your God always agrees with you and always thinks it's your opinions and your preferences, well, they're the most reasonable, then your God is too small. If your God is Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or Catholic or Assemblies of God, then your God is too small. If your God just is happy with spending 90 minutes with you in church once a week, then your God is too small. If your God says, oh, you've worked really hard on your marriage. I, I know it's been difficult. It's not working out. I want you to find somebody else. You're going to have, I want you to be happy now. Then your God is too small. If your God looks at your sin of lust or greed or gossip and says, well, it's no big deal. You're a whole lot better than that other person is. Then your God is too small. If your God says your marriage is too messed up, your family is too fractured, you're too young, you're too old, you're too broken, you're too poor, you're too guilty, you're too late, then your God is too small. If your God, if your God fits nicely into a box, my God wants his church to know today that he doesn't do boxes. This is not who he, this is not, this is not our God. Not only is God not gonna get into a bigger box, he's not gonna fit into a box and there's no purpose, there's no place for a box in his church because God doesn't do boxes.